Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. Sponsored by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets to any type of sporting events and concerts. And download their app today and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of May 21st, 2018. On this week's show, we recap a fun weekend for White Sox fans. Yes, I did say fun weekend. The White Sox won a series at home. I know, it's amazing. And they pitched well. It's almost unbelievable as we rave about how great Ronaldo Lopez looked on Sunday. And if the White Sox have found something and Jace Fry... We'll also discuss the landmark decision by the Supreme Court striking down the federal law and allowing states to determine if sports gambling will be legal. Joining us from 670 The Score and Vegas Sports Information Network, it'll be Joe Ostrowski. He'll tell us how this decision by the Supreme Court will impact Major League Baseball. Also joining us will be the voice of the Canapolis Intimidators, Trevor Wilt. He reports on Carlos Rodon's first rehab start, how Luis Gonzalez is faring coming off the disabled list, and why the Intimidators are playing so well to start the year. Of course, we'll answer your questions in the end in P.O. Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We'll have to table the landscaping talk for another week because the White Sox won a home series. Good, because it's uh, raining here anyway, so I couldn't get anything done. So all I have to talk about is baseball. The Chicago White Sox are now 13-30 and 30 after taking three out of four against the Texas Rangers. And Jim, we got a question from Twitter from Ted Janis about this series. And Ted is asking, season turning point or Texas Ranger fool's gold? It could be a little bit of both. In that, you know, they're never quite able to gain escape velocity from the bottom of the AL Central, but, you know, they're at least bum slayers. They can beat last place teams and, and you know, equally flawed teams, especially at home. Uh, as, as, you know, speaking of uh, problems, it's nice to see that road record or home record uh, shoot up a little bit from 3-15 and 15 to now 6-16. Uh, and 16. That's looking better, but... Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the Rangers have problems. They're not healthy. They're short on pitching, especially with Cole Hamels missing the series. So there's, you know, reason to think that uh, the Sox caught them at a bad time, but they made a bad team caught at a bad time look bad, which I think is uh, something that this team needs to do, at least until 
like say they get some reinforcements from Charlotte, whether it's you know, Carlos Rodon or Michael Kopech or you're talking Eloy Jimenez, you know, this team in its current stage uh, probably won't be much better than what they've shown so far. Just They're not 120 loss bad, but I don't think they're 90 loss bad either. I think they're somewhere in between. Well, let's start off with the good from this weekend, and that is Ronaldo Lopez. On Sunday, he was spectacular. Eight innings pitched, only allowing two hits, no runs, two walks, and eight strikeouts. So over eight innings, only four base runners allowed. And Jim, Lucas Giolito, he had a good start on Saturday, only allowing three runs in six innings. Giolito had three strikeouts to two walks. So he did have more strikeouts than walks, but still a low total of strikeouts. But if we're going to evaluate the Adam Eaton trade at this moment, to me, it's clear that Ronaldo Lopez was the prize in this return. Do you agree or disagree with that opinion? Are you talking about now or at the time? I'm looking at this return now, not before. Now, yeah, I would say so, just because Giolito still seems like um, not entirely comfortable with his delivery or on the mound. Uh, you know, the, the performance fluctuates so much. The control fluctuates so much. At least Lopez seems to be on the attack. Um, the one thing that concerns me about Lopez start to start is that um, there seems to be a big discrepancy in the life of his stuff. Um, some starts his fastball will be, you know, 95, 98. So he averaged 96 uh, this time around and, and was you know, able to find it against uh, Chu in his last, uh, you know, um, last batter. And other starts, he seems to have trouble getting it above 95. And when that's happening and the slider isn't, you know, wipeout pitch, it's more of a setup pitch. Um, he seems to get hit hard and he he's re, he requires luck on his side and you know, hoping the contact ends up in the right direction versus getting strikeouts. This was him in his best form, I think. It just seems to me that it's a matter of, you know, having it start to start. And I know he's had injuries. He had the flu that one time, or at least, uh, you know, was not entirely himself and, uh, you know, that's a case where you can, yeah, it's completely understandable if he has a stomach bug, he's missing a couple ticks, but there's been other times too, where it just seems like his stuff isn't happening and, you know, the pirates jumped on him and such. So that's, I think what I'm watching from Lopez is one, you know, sometimes it's a matter of holding it all the way through. And sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of his best velocity showing up at all. And so as we go on to the next start and start after that, I think, uh, you know, seeing what his velocity shows early in the start is just as important as, you know, whether he's able to maintain it. We'll talk about Jace Fry later in the show as you guys had a lot of questions about Fry for P.O. Sox. Uh, But let's move from the good news to the bad news. The bad news from the weekend was Carson Fulmer being demoted. Dylan Covey is promoted and he replaces Fulmer in the starting rotation. And Jim, I have a bad feeling about this situation. We have been pounding the drum to get Fulmer into the bullpen and develop him into a weapon that can be used later in games. I think that is what will make him most successful. Clearly, the White Sox front office disagrees with that idea because Fulmer is going back to Charlotte and they're going to continue to try and develop him as a starter. What gives me a funny feeling about this is I do wonder if the White Sox have broken Fulmer. Do you get a bad vibe about this or am I overreacting to the situation? I would say you're, I wouldn't say you're overreacting. I would say maybe... I would, I would put the word yet, you know, when, when assessing Fulmer, I think right now with the starting pitching being the way it is and Carlos Rodon not quite ready and them holding out Kopech for, you know, whatever reason, I, I think maybe Fulmer will be starting just to kind of keep him as backup for should they need a spot start somewhere along the lines. But I think once Rodon is back, um, you know, that'll shove, you know, whether it's, I'm guessing it's Kovey, that'll shove him down when Kopech comes up, that'll shove you know, Hector Santiago down. Then you have spot starters backing up and you have, you know, Chris Volts, you know, depending on where Volstead is, you'll have guys who can eat innings on short notice. And I think that'll take some of the importance off Fulmer being stretched out. And then I think you can think about, you know, getting him to the bullpen, or at least, you know, that would be a good enough time where there's really no excuse. You don't need him. You're not going to be vulnerable if uh, a guy gets hurt and uh, you can start, you know, thinking about 2019 with your pitching staff. And I think, you know, when, with, a bullpen switch in mind, that'd be the case. But yeah, I think after say Rodon is back and after Kopech is back, especially I guess we'll look at you know how Fulmer does in Charlotte. And if but I mean if Fulmer is posting pedestrian lines at Charlotte and he's still showing the same problems where he loses command for innings at a time, uh, I I don't know what more they need to see. I mean we we've seen it with uh, 
uh, you know, just the last two outings where he, you know, he's had, I think, two times over the last three weeks said he identified mechanical problems and the White Sox have worked on it. You know, I thought this kind of sudden demotion, you know, the way they just did it right after the game, uh, I thought maybe that was kind of a uh, tough love slash message sending. So maybe they're trying that as a way to get through to him as a starter, maybe say, all right, um, we're really fed up. This is the last time. Get your act together in Charlotte. And if he doesn't do it there, maybe then that'll be the ultimatum. But yeah, I think for the time being, I think uh, he's showing why everybody, or at least most people have seen him as a reliever. And it would just be nice to, I guess, turn the page on that as quickly as possible. But I can see them waiting until they have, say, seven starters at any one point before pulling the plug on Fulmer in that regard. The next bad thing about this weekend is more injuries to the White Sox outfield. Nikito Monaco will be out as he got some busted fingers as he hit by a pitch. Yeah, credit to him. I was listening to Park Audio and he did not curse. <laughs> like, he, he, I think his quote was "ow, ow, 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 ow." Like, but no curse words on the Park Audio, which you know, given uh, the direct hit it took, was pretty impressive. Restraint by him. And he's going to miss four to six weeks, which means Lurie Garcia will get a lot more time in the outfield. Avasil Garcia has a grade two hamstring strain. And according to the White Sox, won't see action at the earliest until late June. So Avi's out for another month. And it begs the question, Jim, if another outfielder goes down, what will the White Sox do? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, Charlie Tilson is looking a little bit better at Charlotte. You know, and he's playing good defense and such. You know, he's he's got an okay hit tool and such, so maybe you can get you know kind of a uh, you know, catch uh, you know kind of a flash in the pan type thing where you can get some short term production out of him before you know regression sets in. But otherwise, I think you're looking at say the Trace Thompson route, where you look to other teams looking to alleviate some kind of outfielder glut, you know, somebody wanting to like, you know, say like the, uh, you know, Melky Cabrera or something like that. Like some, some, you know, minor league free agent doesn't have a, a route to the big leagues where, you know, maybe the White Sox can take them off their hands. And I think, you know, that might be the case because otherwise, you know, you know, you might be looking at Eloy Jimenez or something like that, where he's really the most credible major league option. And I don't think the White Sox want to do that for, reasons we kind of alluded to with Michael Kopech. So yeah, it's, it's pretty bare bones at this point. I guess the good news is that Larry is going to be playing pretty much every day and he should, because I think he's deserved it based on, you know, his body of work when healthy the last year and a half. And uh, even if it's, you know, if you're looking at him for trade value, I think he's maybe an underrated trade piece. If the White Sox are looking at him in that regard, especially say if people get healthy again and all of a sudden he's a little bit on the outside looking in, for playing time, you know, maybe somebody can be dealt, and so playing him is a good idea. But yeah, otherwise, it's a great opportunity for Daniel Palka. <laughs> Just when it looked like, you know, um, yeah, his defense wouldn't allow him to play every day. Well, his defense is still bad, but he should be playing every day because he probably does have the second most dangerous bat in the outfield. You know, if you, if you don't count Leary, and maybe even then, you know, at least Palka's got power Leary doesn't have. So it's pretty thin, but... Uh, yeah, Polka is this. This is really the the best opportunity he could probably ever have at this stage in his career. We now move on to previewing the upcoming series against the Baltimore Orioles. So again, the White Sox have an eight game homestand. They're three and one on this homestand after beating the Texas Rangers. And in this four games, the Orioles rank twentieth in offense as they are scoring four point one three runs per game. They're twenty eighth in run prevention at five point five three runs per game. To compare that to the White Sox, the White Sox are 28th in offense, scoring 3.88 runs per game, and they're still last in run prevention, allowing 5.74 runs per game. And your pitching problems for this series, starting on Monday, it will be Andrew Kashner against Hector Santiago. First pitch is at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. Tuesday, it's Kevin Gossman against James Shields. That game's at 7.10 p.m. Central Time as well. On Wednesday, it is Alex Cobb, and officially it is to be determined, but most likely this will be the spot that Dylan Covey will take in replacing Carson Fulmer. And on Thursday, it will be Dylan Bundy against Lucas Giolito. Jim, the Baltimore Orioles are not much better than the Chicago White Sox. Offensively, it is Manny Machado, Manny Machado, and Manny Machado, as he has 14 home runs and 42 runs batted in. He's already worth 2.6 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. 
I guess the question is, Jim, can the White Sox win another series? I think so. Um, I could say they could even win four just because uh, of the way the pitching staff has gone. They did bounce back against Boston a little bit, but Boston was beating them up. And um, Alex Cobb is, I guess, the one I'm most fascinated by just because um, when you look at him and you look at Lance Lynn, like two guys who signed late and, you know, they theoretically could have been upgrades for the White Sox in the rotation, but neither of them are pitching like upgrades. I mean, Cobb is a 656 ERA. He's not striking anybody out. Um, yeah, it's, he's a, he's a mess. Gosman's been, uh, probably their best, but he's also had rough starts. Bundy can get bombed, even though his strikeout rate's really healthy. Um, sometimes he just loses it. So, I mean, it's a weird team and weird rotation and, uh, yeah, just, uh, it seems like, you know, the Machado thing will probably be dominating the conversation in Chicago just because, you know, either the White Sox angle where, um, the White Sox fans will be stumping for him and he's an obvious fit, especially if he wants to go back to third base where he's a better defender, maybe a more valuable player. And then you also have the Cubs trade rumors, or at least the idea of him replacing Addison Russell and such. So yeah, it's like either way, I think there will be plenty of headlines Machado related alone. Well, coming up next, we'll be joined by 670 The Scores, Joe Ostrowski, about the future of sports betting in the United States of America and what it could mean for Major League Baseball. Before we talk to Joe, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, plan a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I use SeatGeek all the time for my ticket needs, especially for the Chicago White Sox, because I found it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets. Thanks to their deal score, I always know I get the most bang for my buck. And with the digital tickets, it's a great feature because then I could just use the SeatGeek app. I don't have to print out my tickets to get into the stadium. And I use SeatGeek to help me get four tickets uh, for Jim Tomey Bobblehead Day on August 11th, and that should be a fun day. And SeatGeek has terrific deals this week for the upcoming home series against the Baltimore Orioles. For Monday's game at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, tickets are just $4 on SeatGeek. May 22nd, Tuesday, just $5. Wednesday, $8. And Thursday, $6. Great deals right now on SeatGeek to get you into guaranteed rate field on the cheap. And the best part is... Socks Machine listeners, you get to save in two ways on SeatGeek.com. First, if you've never used SeatGeek before, use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase. If you have used SeatGeek before, use promo code MACHINE for $10 off any purchase on Major League Baseball tickets. Again, that's Socks Machine for the promo code for $20 off your first purchase and machine for $10 off on any Major League Baseball ticket. So if you want to go to any of the games to see Manny Machado this week and the Baltimore Orioles, you can find some great deals on SeatGeek.com to get you to the stadium on cheap. Or if you're looking to get tickets for a future game for the White Sox season, take advantage of that $10 off promo code because it expires after the month of May. So again, machine for $10 off and socks machine for $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. Last week, the Supreme Court made a ruling favoring in the state of New Jersey by declaring the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act unconstitutional. This ruling has really opened up the floodgates as states across the country are trying to pass legislation that will allow sports betting to happen legally. Now, we know most people already use online apps like Bovada to place bets on games, but how will this ruling impact sports fans and even the professional leagues like Major League Baseball? Well, join us to discuss as the host of the Early Odds podcast for the Vegas Sports Information Network and also host of the Hit and Run show on 670 The Score in Chicago. It's Joe Ostrowski. And hello, Joe. Thanks for coming on the show. Josh, my condolences on your over Sox 68. <laughs> That's I should have just lit that money on fire. 
Might as well. But, but you didn't know. You you just didn't know it was going to be like this, quite like this. But uh, we'll talk about that coming up. This has been just an absolutely wild week. It's one of those things, people watching this, paying attention to what was going on in those oral arguments, which happened back in December, mm-hmm. expected this to be the decision by the Supreme Court. It was just a matter of when. But even after it finally happened, there's still a bit of a shock about what's going to come here Um, in the coming months, in the coming years in this country. And I think that's where I want to start, is how widespread is this going to be? Are we talking just Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and the casinos on Native American land? Or do you think that this could blow up and we could see sports betting legalized in more than 25 states? This is going to blow up. It's going to be widespread. Uh, Half the country, I I would say the majority of the country, if you're giving me a time frame of two to three years, that's where we could be with this. Wow. It's not going to be a select few states. We're going to start off with a handful of states because not only is it Jersey and Nevada, but Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Mississippi have already passed bills. They've legalized sports betting. Mississippi came out and they said after the ruling, okay, give us 45 days. And we're going to be ready to roll. So we're going to start out with a, a group of five states. Then you have another group of about a dozen states in the country that have introduced bills but not passed anything yet, like the state of Illinois, like Indiana, Michigan, Ohio is coming out and saying they want to be in the mix. So that number is going to continue to grow. By football season, this would be an optimistic viewpoint. But by football season, it could be around – double digits, number of states that have legalized sports betting, and you throw out half the country, yeah, a couple years, I'd say half the country. Is it just going to be casinos, or do you think that there's an opportunity where it's like off-track betting, that you just have these sports books that are big sports bars, but you can go watch a game, get a beer, and play some money on some games? Yeah, we want everything right away, especially in 2018. That's the world we live in. I think this, right. is, this is going to be a <laughs> slow process. Now, it'll, okay. it'll be a, a different world, as I mentioned, in a few years. But the states that do start out with this, and I mentioned the five states that are going to start off in the beginning here, it'll be a slower process. In New Jersey, it's going to start off at Monmouth Park. They were eyeing Memorial Day, but it looks like it's going to be more like, hopefully, Carlos Rodon's first start in the big leagues this year, around early June for them when they're going to open up Monmouth Park. And that's how this will start in most states. Brick-and-mortar places, your racetracks, your casinos. But for it to last long-term, it has to go online. It has to. They're all looking to maximize the money that they make for their states, well, it must be on our phones. Because, yeah, it would be fun in the beginning if it happens in Illinois and we can go somewhere and watch football on big screens all day and run up to the teller and bet on games. That'd be a fun thing to do once in a while, but you'd get sick of doing it every week. And then with baseball, there is so much opportunity with games every single day. Right, and that was going to be one of my follow-up questions is with online sports betting. Because with Bovada, yeah, I can give the Chinese some money. And uh, if I win any money, they can send me a check five to six weeks after. But how do you think that this is going to change the way that we gamble online today? Sometimes you'll get those checks five, six weeks after. Or sometimes (laughs) I have to go purchase some Bitcoin so then I can move things around and I hope it shows up. (laughs) If I enter the wrong address, Josh, my money's gone. Now what do I do? This is the world we're playing with. So there's some security. Our money would actually be protected. We wouldn't be chancing everything. But Major League Baseball stands to benefit as much as any sport. I would say MLB and NBA the most because of the volume of games. And it would introduce a lot of fans, I think, to soccer. I feel like we've been saying that my entire life, that soccer is going to explode, soccer is going to explode. But I think this would help soccer a lot. I mean, Rob Manfred is not an idiot. I've criticized him in the past for certain things, but he's not stupid. He's been all over the daily fantasy thing. He, he's been supporting that because he knows it helps fan engagement, even in blowouts. Carson Fulmer's getting lit up in the first inning. You're still going to watch because there are opportunities to bet all the way through the end of that game. So that's why he's been vocal. 
him and Adam Silver just backing this because they know this would help baseball a lot. Are we going to need a new position, though, within these professional sports leagues, a director of integrity like they do have overseas in the soccer leagues? I don't really see it. I don't see the need for it. So the word, the phrase integrity fee has been thrown out by the leagues. Why? Because they want their cut. We want only 1%. (laughs) It's only 1%. 1% of all bets. Winners and losers. That is a boatload of money. And what people don't realize is for these sports books, they live on this 5% straddle. They're looking to just get 5% of all the money that's bet. So now the leagues are asking for 20% of their profit for the most part. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's really no reason to even go down that road. Nevada hasn't done it all these years. They're just throwing out integrity fee. The integrity is in the books. They're looking for weird action. Is something going on? And, and they've led, some of the, led the charge in the past on busting people that were taking money and fixing games. So I, I don't think that's really needed. That's, what, that's why the books exist. Looking at bets at the moment, what would be some good bets or teams to bet on in Major League Baseball? Well, this sounds like I'm just picking the best teams in baseball right now. But as far as a World Series bet, I've been on this team since the last World Series ended in November. I said, this is my team for next year, and it was before Giancarlo Stanton. When the Yankees were 10-1 to or 12-1, to I love the Yankees. They're still 6-1 to now. The thing is, it's not the best number, but I think they're going to win the World Series, Josh, and they're going to add. They have all the prospects in the world to make moves around the trade deadline. They can add the, uh, the best starting pitcher, maybe two starting pitchers that are available around the trade deadline. So I'm all about the Yankees, Yankees, Yankees winning the World Series. And the National League side, it's funny. You take a look at the whole landscape, and you could say that the top three teams are playing in the American League. But on the National League side, a bad bet isn't Atlanta to win the NL. You can still find them 12-1, to 15-1 to 1 in that range. They are so fun to watch with Ozzie Albies and Acuna. And, of course, Freddie Freeman, who for some reason still doesn't get the respect that he deserves in baseball. They have th- the, the three youngest players in all of baseball. I still think there's some value there. But what I find interesting is right now baseball is the haves versus the have-nots. And you could take some of those bad teams and just fade them or ride those really good teams on the run line. Not something I usually suggest, but if you're willing to go on the run line, which means winning by two runs, you can have some value. Or you go against some of the bad teams that have awful run differentials. We're only a quarter of the way through the season, and we're seeing run differentials of Minus 60, 70, 80 for the Marlins, White Sox, Royals, <laughs> yeah, <it's> Rangers, <laughs> Orioles. On the right day, you just go against some of those teams, and you can back the Yankees or Astros. They're willing to put up a dozen runs at any point. Not something I usually suggest, but just going day by day, in this baseball, the run line isn't a bad bet. Before I let you go, I'd like to get your thoughts about the current White Sox season because, of course, you host the Hit and Run show every Sunday at 9 a.m. on 670 The Score. What do you make of their early season start? Rock bottom, right? That was the show Rock the other bottom. day? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you hope so. I, I think it, it is rock bottom, but I don't know if the jump in 2019 is going to be that different. It's been a rough couple of weeks for Sox fans. For some reason, for 17 months, Sox fans were behind this. You interact more than I do with a large amount of Sox fans. They were behind this. And then we started to see a turn, Josh, and it reminded me of what was happening during the Cubs rebuild. And I get it. There are reasons to question this rebuild, but those reasons didn't just pop up out of nowhere. They've been there the entire time. Yeah, it's the same people doing this rebuild. Now, there is a difference, though, with Hostetler. 
So I think people need to take that into account. It's just been a rough couple of weeks. You're losing games to the Cubs, even though they were able to take one there. Kopech's been getting roughed up. Um, Fulmer just looks like, okay, he's probably going to be a relief pitcher. Who knows? But let's keep trying him out there. Let's see what happens. He had the Jake Berger injury to add to the other injuries to the top prospects. So I think a lot of Sox fans were so upset because it was just a cavalcade of bad events going on. This was supposed to be the worst season. If Giolito is walking hitters, I'm not getting extremely upset. It takes time. Go back to some of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And see, that's what's different for teams in Chicago is they saw what happened on the north side with position players. And a lot of this rebuild on the south side is going to be with pitchers that are going to struggle. Greg Maddox had a five ERA for a couple of seasons before he was able to figure it out. You can see Giolito out there. He's trying to figure things out. He's worried about landing spots. He's worried about his opponents. There's so much going through his head right now. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez has looked fantastic. The peripherals don't look great, so you're a little concerned there. But this is what 2018 is all about. Yoan Moncada has been fantastic for this team. Arguably, he could be an all-star. I don't know if he will be for the American League, but he could be, and I expect him to be for years to come. So there are reasons to be excited. Disappointments, Avi Garcia injury is brutal because we should be talking about whether or not they're going to trade Avi, if they're going to make that move, if he fits their window in the future, but because of this injury, we're not. The other big disappointment for me is I expected a big jump out of Tim Anderson, and we're not seeing it. I thought he was going to take his game to the next level, play smarter baseball more consistently, and we're not seeing it. But I am backing this rebuild 100%, and the worst thing in the world for Sox fans is to compare this to what happened with the Cubs, what happened with the Astros, because then you're just already in that mindset mindset of, World Series or bust, and you're putting that five-year window on it. It's going to take longer than five years. The best players outside the top guys, the next guys, right, Kopech and Eloy Jimenez, they're at Class A, so it's going to take some time. Now you see Rodon working his way back, and they are taking their time with all of these players, so it's going to take longer and I, I don't think they're going to be involved in the Manny Machado sweepstakes because of how bad it's been. I don't think they're a 500 club next year, but let's just see what happens. Give these players time to develop. You do have to like what you've seen out of Matt Davidson. See, this is another thing 2018 is all about. Play him every day, and let's see what happens. So you're saying taking take the over again in 2019 on the, the win over under. What, what, what's the number at? What, <laughs> no what, what are we setting at? <laughs> If it's at, 65 uh, and a half. <laughs> if I'm at joshnelson.eu, what, what, number am I, what number am I finding? 68 and a half? Okay. Or, or did you go 70? What did you say? 65 and a half. 2019. Oh, you went down. <laughs> you went down from 2018. I will take the over there. They're, the Kansas City Royals are still in this division, and so are the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> you can listen to Early Odds, one of my favorite podcasts out there. I highly recommend it, especially if you do like betting on games. You can listen to it on vsin.com slash podcast or subscribe to the show via iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Of course, listen to 670 The Scores Hit and Run every Sunday at 9 a.m. and follow Joe at Joe0670. Joe, a huge fan of yours. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come in on the Sox Machine Podcast. I love listening every single week to you guys. Appreciate you having me on. Saturday night, Carlos Rodon made his first rehab start with the Canapolis Intimidators. With a limit of five innings, Rodon's box score looks good. Five innings, three hits allowed, one earned run, no walks, and six strikeouts. Of course... We'd love to see continued results like this, but it is important to remember that Rodon is breaking off a lot of rust with these rehab starts, and how Rodon feels after these starts health-wise is most important. But again, this is A-ball, so how did Rodon look in his first performance? Well, joining us now on the Sox Machine podcast to not only share his insights on Rodon's start on Saturday, but also the torrid pace the Intimidators are off to in 2018 
It's play-by-play broadcaster Trevor Wilt. And Trevor, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hope uh, hope everything's well for you guys. And, uh, yeah, I know things are going well here in uh, Canapolis for sure. White Sox fans want to know, how did Carlos Rodon look on Saturday? Yeah, so Carlos, for him, uh, he said he felt good after uh, whenever we talked to him after his start. He said he felt good, and like you just uh, talked about, I mentioned just a few minutes before, is that whenever he was uh, coming into this, uh, he just wants to feel good after starts. He wants some of his pitches to feel good coming out of the hand. And, of course, I mean, some guys are going to hit your best stuff. That's baseball. And sometimes you're going to get guys to swing and miss, and you can throw a no-hitter one day. But for him, heck, he sat down the first nine guys he saw, and then the hits that he gave up, there was only three hits that he gave up. One was a little dribbler down the third baseline, ended up getting by Johan Cruz and, and rolling all the way to the wall, but the guy was nabbed out at third and then gave up a, a blooper that brought in the guy who, who did get a, uh, who found the barrel against uh, Carlos and, and wound it up at second base. But the, the reason they scored the run, it was literally a blooper off the end of the bat and a little Bermuda triangle in right center field. And, and the next thing you know, I mean, he was, he was okay with it. I mean, of course, he was like, man, I didn't want to give up that run at all. But uh, it was still um, a great experience for him, and, and he just looked great. The fastball, um, once he got through the, the first couple guys, the fastball, um, it looked good. He did have a couple, not wild pitches, but some that kind of got away from him and, and, and just finished uh, high and away and, uh, through the first guy or two. Um, but he picked up a couple Ks in the first inning, uh, in the third inning as well, and I believe the fourth uh, as well. And the changeup, though, Josh, oh, my goodness gracious, that changeup was devastating. I, none, none of the kids, they act like they haven't seen a baseball um, over there for the Hickory Crawdads. Whenever that changeup came out of his hand, and that was his bread and butter. I'm, I'm telling you that. And talked to, to Justin Jersley after the game about it as well, the manager in his second season with the Intimidators. And he said, that's a big league changeup right there. And I talked to Jose Batista, our pitching coach, and he goes, that, that was it. That looked good. And, he mixed in the slider a lot more as well. Um, I believe Justin said he threw uh, over uh, almost 23, 24 um, change-ups, actually, um, out of the, the 69 pitches that he threw, and then threw a good amount of sliders as well. And I, and I believe whenever he made a, a couple starts and was throwing down there in Arizona a few weeks ago, he didn't really – he just tried to work on that fastball. But uh, for the Intimidators yesterday, he was able to, to work in that slider – he, he mixed it low and in a lot. That was his. That was he was really going to that as a strikeout pitch, and he was just trying to basically what he was doing was just going fastball, fastball, and then he would mix in a changeup, another changeup, and then go in with the slider. So he looked great. Uh, all pitches looked solid, but that changeup. I mean, good gosh, that was that was good stuff to see. Well, that is a big positive then to hear that his changeup has progressed so much. I guess maybe that's the silver lining with his shoulder injury, at least missing significant action back-to-back years, is that it forces him to move away from just being a high 90s fastball pitcher and that devastating slider that he could throw at 90 miles per hour and forces him to learn a third pitch uh, with that changeup. So that's very promising, And it sound, but the slider is awesome. I mean, that's the reason why the White Sox drafted him in the first round. The slider is yeah. his best pitch. So it sounds great. Everything sounds great. In Rodon's start, the Intimidators walked off the Hickory Crawdads on Saturday night. Very exciting victory. The Crawdads are the Texas Rangers affiliate. So the White Sox, both in Chicago and Kannapolis, beat the Rangers. And Trevor, as we record this, the Intimidators are leading the South Atlantic League Northern Division, which they won the first half last year to make the postseason. And it's been an incredible start to 2018 for this squad. What has been the biggest driver of success for the Intimidators in this first half? So the, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, because I know it, in minor league baseball, you know how they don't care. A lot of times the team camaraderie, it's the boys are having fun, but a lot of times you find a lot of me guys. Uh, in college, when I went to UNC Charlotte, and, and they talked about me or we. And for the intimidators, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of, of we guys saying, "Hey, I'm actually going to play for the team." And in the minor leagues, uh, I think you know as well, Josh, is that a lot of times it's, it's more like, "Hey, how can I get my numbers up? How can I get to the bigs?" And that's all good, and I, I know that's exactly what the boys are doing as well. But talking to Justin Jersley and some of the other Roven instructors coming in, uh, Vance Law, uh, Aaron Rowan, that are with us right now, 
uh, up in the booth. They're saying, man, this, this team, they're, they're fun to watch, and they're, they're special. I mean, these kids, these cats, they, they love playing together. They want to win. And, um, and, and that's pretty cool to see. Is this is my first year in minor league baseball. And, and coming into it, I was thinking, ah, a lot of times people are going to big time uh, myself and other media. I mean, these guys are great. And, and it's not like the prospects are, are, are just going off the charts here for the, for the Intimidators. We have guys, of course, Luis Gonzalez, he's, he's 18th overall. You got Evan Scout, the former TCU Horn Frog catcher. He's 22nd overall. A couple other guys like Lincoln Hensman, Justin Yearcheck. But it's, um, but then again, a couple of those guys, we haven't been able to see the, the best numbers. And then we have guys like Laz Rivera. I mean, the guy's batting like 365. He's got, what, six steals now. Uh, he, his, I wish we had video at Intimidator because we would have a few Sports Center top 10 plays. Maybe I had a few Sports Center top 10 calls, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever, you don't have the video for it. But, man, that kid can play some shortstop, and he's, he's one of my favorites to watch. I mean, you got guys like Craig Dedalo. Uh, the left fielder, his body, he's what, like 6'4", about two, two hundred five, two ten. 210. Uh, he's got a perfect body for baseball, and he's got really good speed for a guy who's that big out in left field. Great defensively. He's got a cannon of an arm, one of the top in assists in the South Atlantic League, the Sally, I guess you could call it. And uh, just so many so many guys that have stepped up, and, and it doesn't matter about the prospect list. It matters about the grind, and these kids are grinding. And they're grinding for each other, which is really cool. They get there early. They get the work done. I mean, I'm seeing guys getting there at one or twelve thirty, one o'clock, or a seven o'clock game, coming in, getting the work in, working out, and then coming in and hitting a couple home runs and pitching well as well. Uh, so, I mean, the team overall, they're top in the in the South Atlanta League in average. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but I know it was two eighty five coming into uh, coming into yesterday as a team average. That's twenty points more than Delmarva. Who's who's fighting right now with the Intimidators for top under the Baltimore Orioles organization in an ERA? They're in the top five as well. They were number one for the longest time until that fourteen to twelve ball game a couple days ago against Asheville. But I mean, it, it's so great. The bullpen uh, it's been a little shaky. Uh, that's the only thing uh, that you can really uh, that you can really look at, and if you really want to nitpick. But then again, there's been some days where you have Tyler Johnson coming there see three guys, strike out three guys. And that's happened multiple times. So right now, everything is just clicking. And again, they're playing, they're, they're we guys right now. They're not me guys. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to see. And the coaches are seeing it. Uh, uh, manager Justin Jersley seen it. And so are the Rovin instructors uh, that are coming in for the Chicago White Sox. They're saying, man, this is something special because, uh, Josh, you know as well, Winston-Salem Dash, that whole team was in Canapolis last year. So those are the bigger prospects. And then you didn't expect the, the, the fast start in 10 minutes to get now, too. And boom, next thing you know, top team in the salary league. And there may be something to that. I mean, that's something that even Baseball America is trying to dive into is that we've always thought that wins and losses don't mean anything in the minor leagues. But it does seem that when you have a core group of guys that win at a level and the majority of them get promoted together in the next level – those winning ways continue, and Winston-Salem, as you mentioned, they're off to another terrific start, and a lot of those guys were on the postseason team for the Intimidators last year. Uh, I have some follow-up questions on a couple of players that you mentioned. First is Luis Gonzalez. Gonzalez was on the DL. He's back. He's he's hitting. He's hitting three thirty three, slugging five fifty one. He's got 10 doubles and six home runs. I think everybody knew that he could hit coming out of New Mexico. The question was, with that high altitude, you know, how good will he transition from metal to wood bats from being in high altitude to playing in North Carolina? Uh, but he's proving that he can hit. Uh, the big question with him is defensively, can he stay in center field? Because the White Sox, this seems to be an area of need right now is the lack of depth in center field. How has his defense looked early on? And do you think he can stick in center? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he looks solid out there in center field. Um, of course, we, we talked about the bat looks like it's there. Um, he, he has a, he has a great. Uh, I, I believe he's got a great first set in. Um, he has been beat uh, on uh, on a few balls that uh, that have hung up there uh, in, in the in the air, and and he's been beat on the on balls that get to the wall. But coming in, he's been phenomenal. I think that's that's a plus side because that's normally the harder ball to get to is the one coming in. Because um, your first step is the biggest thing, and it looks like he's got a solid first step. Whenever a ball is to his left, to his right, and coming in, he's a great uh, he's a great general out there. 
Um, he's always willing and he's always communicating at all times to Tyler Frost and right him normally or Nolan Brown and then out there in left field for the former Hoosier and, and Craig Dedlow. So I, I think that the, and then of course, remember he, I mean, he pitched a lot as well. And so he wanted to focus mainly on, on, on hitting in his defense out there in center field. So I, I think he's, I think he's definitely has the tools. And I know Aaron Rowan, uh, of course, uh, former, uh, I guess, uh, White Sox, uh, and the Philadelphia Phillies played for a couple other teams as well in the majors. He's there and he's working a lot with them right now over the last couple of days. And uh, it, it, I definitely see him, um, him progressing um, as an outfielder and, and being able to roam. I mean, the guy's got great speed. He's got great speed. And it, the game is, looks like it comes so easily to him. I mean, especially at the plate, but more so defense as well. It, it seems like he's just he's having fun. He's real loose. Nothing's really uptight about him, and uh, and he doesn't let the the process. Uh, hey, is, could this kid be the future of of the the White Sox center field? He doesn't let that get to him at all. He's like, hey, playing out here with my boys. I'm having a good time. I'm getting my work in, and and uh, and we'll and, if, and we'll let the results um, do the talking for me. So, uh, I think I think that. Um, to answer your question, I think he he can develop into a, a better center fielder. I think we all, I think everybody can. But he, he's not there yet. But I think that um, as he continuously moves up and, and his teammates get better, and then in the coaching staff it has more. I don't know. Uh, you you can just keep going down the line, and things just to get better for you as you keep going up, and you learn more. So I think that that he's solid out there in center field. And and I think that he could be a future big leaguer for the Chicago White Sox for sure. Uh, the starting pitching for Canapolis, Trevor, has been nothing short of awesome. Uh, Lincoln Hensman, Caden McClure, John Park, Blake Banfield. It seems that when we're always writing minor league recaps or we're doing the minor league report for either the Sox Machine podcast or the White Sox wake-up call, we're highlighting these four guys for having a terrific start with Canapolis. Starting with Hensman, reliever with the Louisville Cardinals, and the White Sox are trying to turn him into a starter. How has Hensman reacted to this transition? Because the results for him as a starter have been terrific. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you, it's working. <laughs> it's definitely working, and and he's loving it. Uh, he's having a great time. It's cool with hit, being paired up with with Kane McClure, his teammate back at Louisville, the former Cardinals, and so that's really cool. They're able to throw together every day. Uh, hang out with each other. They live together, so that's really cool. And I think he's just feeling that that transition can be tough. It, it can be tough. A lot of people are like, "Oh, like that should be easy going from throwing one inning to seven innings." No, it's not. It's it's extremely tough. But uh, he is a man of uh, a few words. He, he keeps himself rather uh, rather well. But uh, he's he's a lot of fun to watch right now. And he just got he's got good stuff. He doesn't try to doesn't try to overpower guys coming as a former closer. Uh, he's one of the best closers in, in college baseball the last couple of years, and and you expect him to to come in and try to overpower guys. He's crafty. The kids the kids got some good off speed stuff, and uh, and he just he just attacks. He's not afraid of any batter. I can tell you that right now. Um, I know that we we just missed Juan Soto, and now of course he just got promoted to the pros uh, to the majors. Uh, we just missed him, but even if it was Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals organization coming up to the plate, I guarantee you he would have went right at him. And, uh, and, and, and that's a great thing with Lincoln. I'm mean, again, not scared of anybody got great stuff. And, and I'm excited to see where, where he goes um, as a starter. And then, Hey, if they ever wanted to, whenever he gets, keeps going up into the, uh, to, to Winston-Salem to, to Birmingham and, and, and so, so on and so forth, they're going to be able to be like, Hey, maybe maybe we need a guy uh, a solid guy in the bullpen you go back to the bullpen but the cool thing is he's willing to start and he's not just willing he's succeeding so that's it's great stuff he's got great stuff as well well you can listen to trevor call the action for the canapolis intimidators on the milb first pitch mobile app or on TuneIn radio and you can follow trevor on twitter where he is at at trevor underscore wilt 10 Trevor, you do a great job on the broadcast, man. So thank you for that. And I really, really hope that Canapolis wins this first half division so we'll know that you'll have some playoff games to call too. Josh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thanks for having me on. That was, that was a blast. And, uh, yes, I, I'm excited uh, for the future for the Intimidators uh, for this season. And, yeah, hopefully they can capture this, this first, uh, first half championship and uh, go ahead and, yeah, solidify our spot there in the playoffs like we did last season. And then, uh, 
and, and have a good little run uh, in the Sally League. Welcome to the Minor League Report. We'll start in Charlotte, and we won't spend much time there because there isn't a whole lot to talk about, with the exception of Michael Kopech. Kopech bounced back from two rough starts by throwing seven shutout innings against Columbus on Friday. He struck out nine while allowing just two hits and two walks, so it looks like he's back on track. And actually, with Carson Fulmer dropping down from Chicago, Jordan Stevens coming up from Birmingham, and now Carlos Rodon joining Charlotte for his second rehab start, the Knights' rotation is four-fifths interesting. There's just an absence of talent on the position player side, especially since Jose Rondon was called up to take Nicky Delmonico's place in Chicago. Charlie Tilson's average is up to 231, but he still isn't showing any kind of power that will allow him to draw walks. There's much more going on in Birmingham, especially since Eloy Jimenez busted out of a slump by going 6-for-7 with a walk over the weekend, raising his average over 30 points in the process. Zach Collins also homered twice on Sunday, and now his 876 OPS is within just one point of Sebi Zavala's 877. The Barons have the opposite problem of Charlotte, in that the promotion of Stevens leaves them very little in the rotation. Dane Dunning is there, but Jordan Guerrero, Spencer Adams, and Ian Clarkin all have ERAs over 6. The Barons' bullpen has been a monster, but even then, Ian Hamilton and Ryan Burr were both hit hard over the weekend series against Montgomery. The Winston-Salem Dash's offense has spent the month gently regressing after blazing on Aprils, but there are a couple of exceptions. Micah Adolfo drew walks in both ends of a doubleheader on Sunday, giving him 13 for the month. Meanwhile, he struck out just 17 times over 73 plate appearances, so his plate discipline is really shaping up. Speaking of which, Tyquan Forbes, who came over from the Rangers in the Miguel Gonzalez trade, has struck out just 17 times over 35 games this year, and he's gone five straight games without a strikeout, even while reaching safely eight times over that stretch. He's hitting 279 with a 348 OBP and 410 slugging, all of which are positive developments after struggling in the Carolina League last season. Like Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease bounced back from a disaster outing last Friday to come back with six scoreless innings a week later, although he lost the team's ERA lead to Bernardo Flores. At any rate, all Winston-Salem starters are on extra rest due to wet weather along the coast. Going back to the subject of outfielders, it'd help if the White Sox could graduate one or two of their Winston-Salem outfielders because Luis Gonzalez is toying with the Sally League. He's hitting 333, 388, 542, and his strikeouts are starting to come down too. He's too good for the competition, but at least the Intimidators are reaping the benefits. They lead the league in all the triple slash categories to go with the fourth best ERA. The college heavy pitching staff is also getting the job done, although the depth will be tested since Cade McClure sprained his knee fielding a grounder, and he'll be shelved at least a couple of weeks. Still, Lincoln Hensman and Blake Battenfield have ERAs under 250, and the bullpen has been pretty strong as well. Add it all up, and they're 12-4 and this month, and currently own the league's best record at 27-14. That's it for the Meyer League Report. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Socks. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Socks Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and also supporting the show by becoming a friend of the podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And of course, reconvening with Jim Margulis to answer your questions this week. And Jim, the first question comes from Azenrek. And Azenrek is asking, Jace Fry looks like a part of the White Sox next good bullpen. What adjustments since last season account for his success? Well, this is one time where I wish that MLB TV didn't ruin their 2017 game, so none of them were available for last year. So I wanted to go back and look at Fry just to see if he was doing anything particularly differently with his delivery year over year. Um, but unfortunately I can't really get a good look at him there. So um, really can only go by his numbers or what he's doing this year. And, and thing that jumps out to me is that that curveball, first pitch curveball, he is just pouring that in. Even I think, you know, with the, with the way it breaks and the way it kind of comes at the left-handed hitter's head, even if they're looking for it, I don't think they can gauge it right away. Um, and, and the one thing I want to look at with his delivery is, when you watch the way, especially his Texas series with, with Gallo and Mazzara, watching the way they reacted to how Fry stuff was coming in, they looked like spooked out by the way he was. They were flinching big time, turning the shoulder back. 
raising the hands like it was going to hit him and ended up just like breaking over the middle of the plate. And I don't know if it's something with his delivery, just how sharp his breaking stuff is that they're just not reacting to it at all. Ugly swings, ugly takes. It's just everything's bad. Um, I think uh, the one thing we haven't really seen him against a whole lot of right-handed hitters. He's both of his walks have come against righties. He's only struck out uh, three of them to two walks. Um, so I think, you know, if we're going to look for regression, I think it would happen there, but against lefties right now, uh, his command is top notch. And, uh, even if it isn't like, um, you know, great command in terms of like where it hits the mitt over the strike zone. I mean, a lot of these pitches are over the center of the plate, but the way they come in, the angle they take, uh, hitters are not able to stay on it. And maybe that changes as they get more looks and get more video and such. But right now, just the way lefties are standing in against them makes me think they have no chance. Thanks for your question, as in rec. Our next question in P.O. Sox comes from Tim. And Tim is asking, any chance the eight-man bullpen gets ditched soon? It leaves only three bench players, with one being a catcher. It leaves little to no flexibility in late-game situations on matchups. Well, um, I think it theoretically could go away. I think it's going to take, like, two to three good starts through the rotation. Having these short starts, like... You know, whether it's Santiago on short notice or whether it's Carson Fulmer getting shelled you know, multiple times uh, before three innings, then you have to bring in Volstad and Beck and uh, never feel great about the next turn. And, you know, you want to have extra arms and such. So when it comes to, you know, that kind of stability, I think they'll need to show it a couple times through just so you get to the point where you have a guy like, you know, whether it's Bummer, you know, now that they have three lefties, or whether it's, you know, Volstad or the long relief guys, Covey, depending on how he starts. Um, just having somebody inactive, like no reason to put them in, you know, they're not having blowouts, they're not having, you know, it's a lot of medium to high leverage situations where these low leverage guys are never warming up. And then I think, you know, it comes to the point where why do we have these guys if they haven't pitched in eight days? So I think it's going to take that kind of uh, rotation fortune. And then probably gonna, at this point, going to need to have somebody worthy to call up on the bench. I mean, right now they're starting nine is basically their best nine players. They're, you know, maybe Jose Rondon is a better option than Adam Engel at some point in the game. But when it comes to their starting lineup, um, you know, unless you want to roll in uh, two catchers at some point, there really isn't somebody who's going to give a better at bat off the bench than the nine guys they have in the lineup already. So, you know, maybe when somebody comes off the DL, and I don't know who that would be right now with Avi <laughs> being out till late June, um, it doesn't look great for a really compelling bench player. And maybe, you know, if we're talking about Eloy, you know, mid-June or something, you know, maybe that's the case where he gets called up, uh, whether it's Palka, Laori, or Engel, you know, they get, you know, shuffled down to the bench and then maybe they're a pinch runner and you can have more bench substitutions. But right now, given how thin they are position-wise, I don't think that's going to be driving them to add to it at any point. Um, so probably take those two things, uh, rotation stability that makes some relievers irrelevant. And then you know, having one more guy in Charlotte who needs to come up and contribute because he's too good for that level. Our next question on PO Sox comes from Bill Wiggins. And this is something that I tweeted about today in regards to Juan Soto being promoted to the Washington Nationals. And Bill is asking Jim, if Juan Soto at 19 is ready for the Nationals, why isn't Aloy Jimenez ready for the White Sox? I doubt if any of our outfielders could make it as a fourth outfielder on any other team. Well, I guess that question presupposes that Soto is ready, and he might not be. I mean, uh, Victor Robles came up last year, and he was the, uh, I think he's 20 years old when they called him up, and he was okay, you know, in September in the playoffs. Not not a standout in any way. I mean, he handled himself well for a 20-year-old, but um, wasn't a difference maker. And, and so when it comes to Soto being a year younger and being somebody who's really, I think he's what, played A-ball, double-A, triple-A, or I'm trying to think, he's played three levels, like basically like a handful of games at each level, basically. And now he's up, I mean, you know, they, they're calling on him because Eaton's out and Goodwin is out and Kendrick's out, so they're missing three outfielders, and so they are just taking a shot with it, but he might not be ready. So I think, you know, that's one case to where if Soto comes up and he doesn't look that great, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter. I mean... We're seeing Acuna having good at-bats, and I think he's slightly different in, in that uh, you know he could have been called up or he could have broken the roster on opening day and they would have been fine with that. Um, Soto, I think, has just kind of really surged out of nowhere and um, you know just might not be wholly ready for the level. So, you know, there's that. And then also, you know, I, I just think it's uh, the point where 
um, you don't. You, if you're the White Sox, you don't want to be accused of rushing Jimenez, and I don't think they are at this point. I think they could call him up to Triple A at any time, and that would be fine. But I think you know, given the way that you know we saw with Gordon Beckham, and and some people wonder about you know Moncada or Gia, you know, just the way these uh, prospects were rushed with other teams, Moncada, Gilito, Lopez, they came up pretty soon with the Nationals and Red Sox in their in their previous organizations there's really no reason to put themselves in a position where they're accused of rushing a guy. So I think, you know, when it comes to Jimenez, they could promote him to Charlotte tomorrow and it'd be great. They could have promoted him a week ago and that'd been fine too. But um, I, I think he needs a couple weeks or at least a few weeks in Charlotte, go around uh, the league once or maybe at least, you know, a couple weeks, let the league get a video on him, let relief pitchers plan for him a couple days in a row, see how they adjust to him. If he handles that, and if it looks like Charlotte's, you know, just he's just toying with him, then call him up. But I think the double A to the majors at this point would be just, uh, it would be great fan service. And, you know, maybe Jimenez could handle it, but the White Sox really, you know, even if you set aside the financial concerns in Super 2 and such, I think they would just want to have him in Charlotte just so they can, you know, kind of CYA a little bit, but just say like, yeah, you can't accuse us of doing what we did with uh, Gordon Beckham or whatever. And that will do it for this week's P.O. Sox questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions to us. Again, if you would like us to answer a question or tackle a topic on this show, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And also help support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash machine, where you get additional content every single week from the podcast and also about the Major League Baseball draft as we are ramping up as it's just two weeks away before the Chicago White Sox make their decision fourth overall. I'd like to thank our guests that joined us this week, Joe Ostrowski from 670 The Score and the Canapolis Intimidators play-by-play voice, Trevor Wilt. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store and searching Sox Machine. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please give us a review. Love to hear your feedback. We're also in Spotify, the Google Play Music Store, and always on audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.